That's why I think it's really important to trust your teacher too. Is he passionate enough to go with you to competition? Is he screaming his fucking lungs out and fighting for you? I'm the guy. In grappling industries, they hate me. Every coach hates me because their stu look, their students don't cannot listen to their teachers because I'm over screaming like a crazy guy. That's I think it's important too that you fight for your students no matter what. So if they have me in a corner, they know they have me in a corner, and I'm not sleeping somewhere at the bench or something. Yeah. Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Fronda. I'm delighted to welcome Ralph Warnicking to the podcast. Ralph is a jiu-jitsu black belt, IBJJF Nogi World Champion, and the first European to receive a 10th planet black belt under Eddie Bravo. After spending 11 years mastering the system from white belt to black belt at 10th Planet headquarters in Los Angeles, Ralph returned to Germany to bring the 10th Planet training system to Europe. He now teaches at 10th Planet Berlin in Spandau, where he shares his passion for health, nutrition, kettlebell training, and self-defense. Ralph is a highly qualified fitness educator with a degree in natural medicine, a certification as a personal trainer from the National Academy of Sports Medicine, and a diploma in sports movement and sports medicine and nutrition. He incorporates his extensive knowledge into his training regime, private classes, and dynamic seminars. Ralph has also earned a black belt promotion in stand-up combat under Victor Cole. Throughout his career, Ralph has achieved remarkable success in various competitions. He was crowned Naga European Champion in Amsterdam in 2018, and he won the IBJJF Nogi World Championship twice, once in the Brown Belt Super Heavyweight Division and once in the Brown Belt Open Class Division. Ralph also claimed the IBJJF Nogi World Championship in 2009 in the Purple Belt Super Heavyweight Division and came second in the Purple Belt Open Class Division. He won the Grappler's Quest World Series in the Advanced Cruiser Division and the OTM Championship in Advanced Absolute Division in 2009. Aside from his impressive athletic achievements, Ralph is also an advocate for clean sport and is strongly opposed to the use of performance-enhancing drugs in any form in competition. You can find his training content, inspiration, techniques, and nutritional recommendations on his Instagram and YouTube channel. I'm excited to have Ralph on the show to share his insights on jiu-jitsu, his experience as a 10th Planet Black Belt, and his passion for health and fitness. And with that, I give you Ralph Warnicking. Ralph, welcome to the show, brother. How are you doing, buddy? All right, all right. For some of you that may not know, Ralph is a long-time 10th Planet Black Belt. He is in Berlin right now in Germany. And I've been following you, man, for a long time, just sort of stalking you since the early, early days of uh, mastering the system, watching the videos. I was one of the early, early subscribers of Eddie's, whatever the $5, $10 plan it was. So I, I got to see a lot of your initial sort of training at least that was videotape that they had on there at headquarters mm. in Los Angeles back in the day and I thought to myself you know initially when I saw these guys doing what they were doing I'm like this is a young man's game I thought and then suddenly I see this guy you know with like silver hair there hanging with everyone not only that you know he's got an accent who is this guy and I found you really fascinating so Ralph tell us about uh, yourself from the beginning okay I was born 19th of February 1964. 
I like Mercedes-Benz, I like lakes and I like uh, forests because that's where I was produced. My parents they have been together for three years and you know, that's me, right? So I grew up on a horse farm. So since I was five years old, I had to work physically pretty hard. And uh, before I even started with Jiu-Jitsu, I was number one in Thai boxing for a year. I trained uh, Hapkido, I, I trained some some Yudo when I was a kid. and. Um, most important thing, I was a bouncer for about 12 years. Rickson Gracie, he claims he has more than 500 street fights. I had more than a thousand street fights easily. Every weekend we had 20, 30 fights. And so Jiu-Jitsu came up in 1993 when UFC started. And there was in a Black Belt magazine 1996, come train with the UFC champs at Beverly Hills Jiu-Jitsu Club. It's like somebody calling me. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go there, you know, just going to check it out. So 1997, uh, the first time I went to Beverly Hills Jiu-Jitsu Club and I trained with Bas Rutten, Oleg Tatarov, Marcos Ruiz. Those were all former UFC champions and obviously Bas Rutten heavily on catch wrestling and Luta Livre was Marcos Ruiz and Oleg Tatarov was Sambo, a Sambo guy. So my first three Submission grappling teachers were actually not really Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Luta Livre is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu without Gi, but you know, so it was more catch wrestling, which I really liked. Gi was just not my thing. I trained with Marcos Vinicius. He must have the six or seven degree right now, but it was just not my game and it was just not my thing. I wanted to have something which I can use in MMA and on the streets because I was a bouncer for so long, high level. You know, I wanted to have something which is fast, which is slick, and yeah, Jiu-Jitsu in its purest form. And so I quit training at Beverly Hills Jiu-Jitsu Club after one year. There's another famous guy, you know, who came from this school. He said, Mark Lehman. You know, you probably know Mark Lehman. So he used me like a dummy because I didn't know nothing about grappling at all. So he was back in the day already Bubert, which was high. In the 1990s, 1999, when I started, it was pretty high. You barely saw any pepper belts, right? So it took long, two years or three, four years to be a Bluebell back in the day. So I didn't feel home there. And so I skipped it. And I started at Hollywood Boxing Gym back in the day, Terry Claiborne, and which was very close to the old Legends Act. Started training with a friend and we just took Bas Houghton's DVDs and we drilled for one year before I entered uh, Eddie Bravo's class. I went to Eddie's place. It was my 40th birthday present. I'm 40, 59 now, so 19 years ago, right? And I went there and it was like, I was like, awesome dude, they're smoking weed. I was, you know, I'm a weed smoker. I got a monthly ticket and uh, I got my ass whooped, I think the first three or four months. So he just opened up his place. It was 2003. After a year already, I could hold my own against his best. Already after a year. And I remember one of his famous uh, students, Joe Rogan. He was already, I think, a purple or brown belt when I was a white belt. And he was crawling away from my leg locks. So, you know, because I had those catch wrestling teachers and, and Sambo and Luta Livre. Luta Livre is heavy in leg locks. Back in the day, I was heavy in leg locks too. So I used leg locks and there were like 
nobody back in the day did any leg locks only simple straight ankle locks but no heel hooks no real knee bars besides the vaporizer and the crouch ripper on banana, banana spin nobody did really leg locks so i was one of the ogs doing leg locks and yeah so we go two years further and so it was already at the new legends now so i started at the really beginning it was bomb squad the very very first location then the second was close to hollywood gym so which was my gym where I did you know I, I made my money with personal so I have a degree in sports medicine and in nutrition and I also have a degree in natural medicine which most of the people don't know I didn't take it that seriously you know but then I got the bug when I got my blue belt I said look I want to do this until I get my black belt so I can be the first black belt in Europe transparent black belt in history and so in 2008 my visa ran out and uh, I was I just got actually my purple belt and so I decided to overstay so that's why I couldn't go to America for 10 years so my time is ends now in June I can go to America again. So that's why my goal is actually end of the year. I want to do IBJJF, the Worlds, and I want to do the Naga Worlds one week before in Dallas. I've never been at the Naga Worlds as well. So I want to do two world championships in seven days. So I got my blue belt to black belt all from Eddie Bravo, but I was also heavily influenced before I started with Eddie with Bas Wooten system, Oleg Tataro showed some really cool stuff as well, and Marcos Ruas, the Luta Lever. Myself, as I just mentioned, I had a heavy stand-up background, actually, did some grappling as well, but not at this level, right? And so it was very difficult for me with a visa. I, w I went there actually with an acting visa, because I was already 35 when I came to, a to LA, and the only area I could study at this age was acting. I never wanted to be an actor, but yeah, okay, so I signed up at a really expensive acting school where I had to stay for three years for my visa. Then I extended with LACC, Los Angeles City College, so I got my diploma in uh, in movie making, which I never wanted to, but just for the visa. And every year I had to pay for the immigration lawyers about four, four and a half thousand dollars. And I got a nice job as a bouncer where I made much more money, so I could afford to pay, you know, jujutsu and all my expenses. Then something really bad happened in 2008. We did an in-house competition. I was a white belt and the other guy was white belt as well, but he was like 120 kilos. And I did double beggar, there's no muscle control, and the guy exploded up. And both of my knees exploded. So I made it so bad that the doctor told me I would never be doing my life uh, jujutsu again. I need to reconstructive operation on both knees. So it took me like six, five months to recover. I did functional strength training. So when you do research on me, you will see some stuff where I do circuit training, functional stuff. I was one of the first guys who did this stuff. So I had like UFC fighters like Ellen Joban, like Josh Barnett behind my apartment on the concrete doing circuit training with me. Kettlebell, I was one of the first using kettlebells for MMA. I, you know, did some cheap sandbags. We worked with sandbags already back in the day. We used ropes already back in the day. And so, all functional equipment. I had like those crazy gymnastic rings in my apartment, a rope in my apartment. So I had this bad injury and I got it myself. I, after six months, I was able to compete. So my very first competition was IBJJF, the US Open at Long Beach. Never did any competition in Jiu-Jitsu, right? Just came off my injury. And so there was nobody at my age class. So I competed. I was already mid-40s. I competed 
at adult level and at like 10 kilos heavier. And then my father passed away the next year in March and I could not go to his funeral because of my visa problems. Because, you know, I wanted to stick there around to get my black belt. So I dedicated one year of competition to honor my father. The first competition I entered was Best of West OT on the mat, you know, back in the day. They put me in a 30 to 35 year old bracket because nobody at my age class was competing. But I submitted both of the guys. You could have put King Kong there. I would have fucking beaten him because to honor my father, right? It was my second competition ever. Just, got, you know, got right away the first win. And uh, then the third competition was the OTM, the Nationals, right? And I got I had an injury and I could not train for six weeks com conditioning. And we had like 40 degrees Celsius. Now I don't know how hard it is, you know? So really, really, really hot, like about 102 or something like this. And it was an, an exhibition. And I took, I think, like Bronx that put me as a purple belt and all the black belt. And so I realized, okay, if I put a little bit of effort in, I could be really good at this. And so, yeah, in the end, the 2009, I became IBJJF purple belt world champion and run up in an open class. And I, the very first Grappler's Quest World Series they made, I won this one. I won OTM. Out of seven tournaments, I won four. And so that was it for me. And I got my brown belt. I received my brown belt from Eddie. And Eddie didn't want to give me my black belt before I not do another competition. So it is 2011. I got my brown belt and I went to the 2011 Worlds. And there I became double world champion. And so Eddie let me wait another two years before I received my black belt. Because I was his gatekeeper, right? I was the enforcer. As you already mentioned, I was this guy already now... Now we're talking about mid-40s, end-40s. Whoever came in, if it was UFC fighters or whatever, right, I could handle the situation pretty good. You know, most of the time, I actually put a beating on most of them. So they started to call me in the beginning the Punisher because my technique wasn't good. So I did everything by power. Then they called me the German Diesel. Then when the first injuries came and I still rolled with one arm and with one leg, they called me the Germinator. So that's why, you know, I have the name The Germinator. So I was the very first one the named The Germinator. Eddie wanted me to be humble. I'm not the humblest person you will ever meet because I always knew who I was, right? So every obstacle in my life, I, you know, usually I could challenge with no problem. Eddie, as I mentioned, you know, he didn't want to give me the backpack first. So I signed up Naga and I got a Brazilian tap in Santiago. And so I lost, yeah. So the guy tapped three times. I let go. The guy jumps up and it's victory, right? And so, but we had it on video actually that he tapped, right? And so Eddie gave me the black belt on the 10th year's anniversary because he thought I was humble, but I was not as humble as he thought I was, right? But life humbles you, obviously. So I thought me as a three times IBJJF world champion, a runner up, A grappler's quest champ, all this bull, right? Nobody gives a F in Germany anyway. I thought I go to Germany, open up a school, and the guy's gonna run in, and I gonna have 500 you know, members in one year or less, right? So I enter Germany. I try to help my mom. My mom lost her second husband due to cancer. Nobody really realized she had beginning Alzheimer's. I didn't have money anymore to start my own business. And so I started teaching jujitsu in Berlin. They took advantage of me. 
But, you know, it is what it is. You know, so I stayed there for two and a half years. And then another one I made a deal with. And they really fucked me over. They owe me more than 30,000 euros, you know. So I could not pay for nothing anymore. So I was partially dependent on welfare from Germany. That's how bad it was. Just to survive as jujitsu was just impossible, right? What was the environment of jujitsu for in Germany at that time when you were starting, you know, for the listener to understand the struggle of what it is, and also the fact that you were the first 10th planet black belt in Germany, correct? You're absolutely right. I was the very first 10th planet black belt, European black belt in Europe. I got received obviously my black belt originally from Eddie at the 10 years anniversary. And another guy, he got his black belt a couple of months later, Magnus Hansen in Sweden. But what people have to understand, Luther Livre in Germany is already established for almost 25 years. Not only that, the first picture you will see is when you open up and you look about 10th planet is you see Eddie Bravo, naked upper body with a bit big joint or a bong in his hand. Germany is a super conservative country here. So you don't talk about if you smoke weed, but you can be drunk. You can be an alcoholic. That's okay for society. But now they're trying to change the laws right now, actually. So anyway, there was no help, obviously. Nobody could really help me. So it was really difficult. I didn't have no money anymore in my pocket. I turned 50 when I came to Germany. So no bank wanted to give me any credit. I didn't have any identity anymore in Germany. I was gone for more than 20 years. I was in LA for almost 15 years. It was very difficult to get my feet even down here in Germany. And the system is totally different. The bureaucracy is our dictatorship here in Germany, right? So it was really, really difficult. So in the end, I had two old school friends who gave me some money so I could open finally, four years ago, my own gym, which is still open, which is almost a miracle because of the COVID crisis. They closed me down altogether 14 months, but I had all the costs and more than two-thirds of all my members run away during the time, obviously. More than one time, I said, I cannot do this anymore, but it was my passion. It's my, my happiness is to wake up in the morning to go to my classes and to teach, right? So it's my passion. It's still very difficult. You know, we're still struggling, but I got really lucky. I have a life partner. She is um, only almost four years together without her the gym would have been closed two years ago because he supported me financially. You know, the most difficult part is that you build up students and they leave you when they're blue belt, purple belt, or even higher. So that's like the biggest backlash you can ever get. You know, you build up. And so it's not so easy. I don't have any affiliation here. So when I go to any competitions, we are always the outsiders. We have to win by submission. You have GFT team here in Germany is very, very strong. Yeah, They have always like around 200 to 250 competitors at Grappling Industries, for example, right? And we have maybe seven or eight competitors because right now I have about 100, you know, members. That's it. So it's still difficult, but my top students, he just messed up all the elite from Germany, all the, you know, the best guys he just defeated at Grappling Industries. So that's a reality in Germany. In Berlin, we have the, that's like the most black belts in Europe 
we have right now, I think, in Berlin. But we are one of the few who only teach Nogi. And we are in an area where it's very difficult to get people, you know, and we have around 100 square meters in mad size. So that's enough for like 25 to 20 to 30 people to drill on. Not to roll, but to drill on. And the name of this area in Berlin, what, what is it again? It starts with an S. Spandau. Spandau. is the outskirts, right? Spandau. You know, I had to drive to my trainer, Eddie Bravo, uh, one and a half hour one way. So back and forth was three hours. That's why I trained at his place usually twice a week in the mornings, but on because I had only two half days off. And the other time I had six square meters at home and I had brown belts and black belts coming to my place at 5 or 6 a.m. and we rolled for one hour, we drilled, I did this for like years to prepare for the worlds as a brown belt. I had to do, I had to come a brown, two of our best brown belts came at very early morning so I could roll with them and I had a dummy, I still have this dummy and I showed up twice a week. Going from the beginning, I remember seeing you on uh, like bars outside and playgrounds working out and doing all this stuff. I mean, you were very fit and uh, always it seemed like an, uh, like an athlete forever, I could tell. And the way you were very technical, it seemed like with your jujitsu in general, very confident, obviously. You weren't particularly worried about what other people thought of you, it seemed like. And I think that's a, one of those superpowers that certain individuals have. I lost 80% of my former friends. Not only that, I mean, you were, you went to a system in the early days with Eddie that was very frowned upon, quite frankly, in the jiu-jitsu community at that time, right? So, I mean, you were going to like a groundbreaking, disruptive type of a new thing. At that time, I would, I'm almost hesitant to call it a school, you know, because it was just the initial seeds of what would later become this giant 10th planet federation. It's like still growing like crazy, right? So, because Eddie is a character in those days, being just a good teacher is not good enough anymore. So, just you have a guy coming in like, dude, I have nothing against John Danaher, right? But John Danaher, what I really hate about, you know, the hype about him is most of the people who go to him, they have been already at least be purple belts. You know, they're purple belts, are really talented, or the world class fucking blue belts, or so, right? So you put all the work in until, you know, your students go to a guy who is really good in writing stuff as well, you know? What's unique about 10th Planet Berlin? So what's really unique about 10th Planet Berlin is, first of all, you have a very, very family-like feeling. So what's really important to understand is we greet on and we greet up. So that's the first line. So we have... Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, we have all kinds of religions in our school and everybody goes along perfectly. We sweat together, we bleed together, you know, we cry together and we laugh together. You know, so for me, what makes it so special is that everybody who comes in who is a foreigner tells me always it's home for them, it feels like home. So we, we, we try to, that was always my goal, to bring people together, to integrate people, to make him smoother, to make him smarter. I mean, it's the, for me, Jujutsu is the most beautiful and the most smart, the smartest sports there is, right? More than two and a half thousand techniques plus movements. So you're never done. You have to become a thousand years old and you're still not done. You know, new stuff comes up every day, right? Or old stuff becomes new again. Because lots of the new stuff I see in those days, they have been around, you know, since I started Jujutsu. Just they didn't have names for it, right? 
I let my students do circuit training three times a week, functional. I help them with nutritional intake so they don't have to take steroids. It's a no, no, no for us. Also, we have lots of law enforcement because they're realizing with their traditional training they're not able to defend themselves anymore because they have more and more people on the streets who train MMA. And so we offer MMA only for actually for police and firefighters and stuff like this because they're big and Berlin is pretty crazy. So maybe like LA is very similar, right? So yeah, for me, What's very unique about us is we only teaching Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Nogi, obviously. We do everything from stand-up. We don't just sitting on our asses. We have a mixture between catch wrestling, sambo, and 10 Jiu-Jitsu. Or submission grappling. I call it submission grappling. Surely I would be always a soldier of Eddie Bravo, right? Because lots of people complained in the beginning that I was too rough. So lots of the higher belts wanted me to get kicked out. And I'm very, very blessed and I'm very thankful for Eddie. He never kicked me out, right? Because you know how it is. You have a big guy there. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's a reality. So I think our vibe is actually everybody who comes in feels at home. You know, and people who leave. I just, one of my American students just left. We both had tears in our eyes, right? So he still feels home here. He's already one year back in America and still feels home here. And that's the kind of thing I wanted to reach. And another goal is that we finally have the first German winning Abu Dhabi. I have a couple of really talented kids now. I'm offering right now 12 Nogi classes a week. So we have a competition class on Saturdays as well. We went from zero for no competition, no having a chance. We went last time, we were like number five at grappling industries out of 110 teams. We were by far the smallest. So we took in like six or seven gold medals and seven athletes, right? We are not a big team, but we are a very high quality team. But it's very difficult to survive in Germany with Jiu-Jitsu only. You know, lots of people in Europe who have a Jiu-Jitsu school have another job. I don't want to have another job anymore. And I'm too old, right? I want to put my energy just 100% in developing some pretty cool young people, helping them for their future and creating on the by side maybe some world champions or Abu Dhabi champions. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. Go buy your forever white belt swag at teespring, T-E-E spring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at forever white belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. There are amazing instructors and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. What's interesting is you, you said that you were doing like leg lock type of stuff early on. And I know Eddie didn't even incorporate the leg lock stuff until a little bit later into the experience of 10th Planet. When I look on your website, I'm curious how you're even teaching leg locks now. And what is your simplified leg lock system? That's really nice, as you say, simplified. Yeah, I do. It, I try to keep it as, as simple as possible. It could be happen that you're a beginner, you do a trial out class, and this week we just do leg locks. You know, so we do always we take upper body two weeks, lower body two weeks. You know, sometimes when we switch it when it's competition time, 
We do every day some upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body. You know, when we go before competitions, the last six weeks, we don't go open end. We do open end rounds, which means I roll maybe with only one guy, but for 45 minutes. But when we do competition, we do six minute rounds. So they get used to higher tempo, right to the speed and everything. So we do lots of reaction time exercises too. So if somebody wants to pull guard, you know, we have an answer, you know. So the whole plan layout for leg locks is that we can play chess from the lower body to the upper body. So we simplify it. We try to do a pass. Pass doesn't work. We have a Hail Mary leg lock entrance, right? Or... We do full mount escape and we have right away, we have a leg lock. So we use really bad positions. That's why I learned from Eddie because Eddie, you know, we work from, the, we are not on top, right? We work from the ground lots of time from bad positions. So I try to put this system, which I learned from Eddie, into our leg lock game as well. So my student, my top student, he won six by leg locks and one by choke. And so we have our own system. You know, my guys, they drink four days, you know, red beet juice and stuff like this. You know, we have some tricks where we can build up better conditioning. And very important is most of the people, they're just to lag locks. Because I have a background as a chiropractor, we go very in detail. So we had knocking on wood in the 10 years I'm teaching now, almost in Germany, only three bad accidents and all those three accidents were done after we were done you know doing drilling and all this stuff and i want people not to you know do leg locks right so only three exits because we go so in detail that you will feel the leg lock far earlier so you can tap than before it's too late you know i see still lots of people who leave toe holes behind knee bars behind even the top guys i mean gordon ryan just ran into the counter told i'm like why is nobody doing this via cartwheel told or a toe hold when somebody is doing a slappy he look and we are very strong in analyzing too so when we are done with the competition i take the victories and the losses obviously all the guys who took a gold medal think they are now superman but we, we try to be very analytical and then they get homework for the next three months so we know okay dude your fucking back escape is horrible so you the next three months your starting position is you get in the back take position and then you have to you know we work from there so you're doing this on the individual level like the student level you're identifying hey joe you suck at the back hey mary you're terrible at whatever stand up or whatever absolutely and that's how we try to fill the gaps Joe was a wrestler. He wrestled for six years in with Ben Askren for one year. So he was just here. He weighs now 97 kilos. I'm only at 82 kilos. It's a huge difference, right? It's more than 40 pounds difference. He was here for five weeks and we did one hour training three times a week in the morning. So we, we rolled for three hours from stand-up position, right? My anti-wrestling is really good, I have to say. I'm just saying, you know, so because, because the shit I'm teaching, you know, as a teacher, you know, you, you don't come in those positions very often anymore, right? So I'm just, yeah, the stuff works. I concentrate on him only that he got better in the beginning because he was a wrestler. He's one world-class dancer now. He's very good in dances, very good in, in chin traps, right? Because 
it was already there for him, right? So we didn't have to switch nothing much. So if I have somebody who comes from Udo, I'm going to use his skills and tune them in so they already have an adventure, a kickstart, right? And so then I go for the weak points. Leg lock game is 99% who come in my gym think, you know, who have good leg locks, they don't have good leg locks. Because the setups are bad, you know, the details are bad. So I approach leg locks as high level as possible, but anatomically correct. So you don't mess yourself up with some bullshit. Because same with rubber guard. I simplified the rubber guard because so many people up to the bomber level had to get knee surgery. I'm knocking on wood. I would have too if I would have listened to the doctors, but I did everything with functional strength training. And I would say my triangle is 99% back where it was before the injury. And I'm 59 now. I'm still choking the crap out of my super heavyweights. But I'm not using the super heavyweights, uh, the rubber guard. I do pop-up triangle, traditional way stuff. Because it's just too hard on my lower body then, right? And getting older, I mix it up too. One day when I roll usually four or five times a week for about 40 to 45 minutes. And I do three times a week circuit training for 45 minutes. Plus I'm teaching 12 classes. So... Yeah, you have to be, I have to eat smart and I have to definitely sleep enough and rest enough. And I do. I start in the morning with three, four minute ice cold shower. You know, I do the right things. I do my 16, eight, you know, 16 hours fasting, eight hours. And it makes a huge difference, man. I mean, my skin is still good. I'm below 10% body fat without torturing myself. I have a very high energy level. You know, I can do Kama Sutra with my life partner five times a week if I want to. And you know what I'm saying, right? Without any enhancing bullshit, right? That was one of the main reasons I never touched steroids because I like the Kama Sutra a little bit better than Jujutsu. That's <laughs> Ralph's an animal, man. What makes a great student? A great student is a guy who offers you an empty glass. What do you mean? It means, you know, who hasn't been in five or six different gyms already. You know, gotcha. I hate those, those people, you know, they're never going to take responsibility for themselves. They're always going to blame the trainer or the coach if they don't compete the level they want to compete. Somebody just, you know, who shows up as often as he can, doesn't trash talk like, you know, Conor McGregor. He has to be clean, you know, because we don't want to have any diseases. You, know, you got to cut your fingernails and your toenails, you know, such simple shit. Everybody in my, at my gym has to take a shower before they come in. They have to take their own towel. So they sweat on their towel when we do, you know, in the end we do stretching and breathing exercises. We greet on, then we do a physical warm-up, then we do technique training, then we roll, then we do stretching as a team, and then we do breathing exercises. Because the problem is, when you run away after you're done rolling, your adrenaline level is so high, you're not coming down, buddy. You know, that's why everybody's smoking weed, right? But if you do the breathing exercises for five to ten minutes, right, in the end, it brings you down, it brings your cortisol level down, your adrenaline level down, because you've got to rest, right? The most important thing after you punish your body like this, you have to rest. And you have to put the right nutrition in, too. I'm eating barely any red meat, usually white, you know, lots of eggs and stuff, only organic food, no alcohol. You know, I have my organic coffee in the morning. I have two double espresso a day. I'm not taking any dirt 
you know, put no, no bad gasoline in my system. So that thing is really important. And the most important thing is you are already, you know, coming into my age range. You're over 50. Look, my grandfather was a very wise man. You know, he was a politician for more than 25 years. He always taught me, Ralph, if you're over 40 and you wake up the next morning without pain, you are dead. End of story. But the thing is, when you think about when you did sport in your life, when you were in your early 20s, everything was hurting too. But when we are over 40, we tell ourselves, right, oh, we are over 40 now, I don't want to handle this pain anymore because I'm old now, it's bullshit. I try not to let the old man inside the door. So I'm thinking still, like, I just got a checkup, a medical checkup, because I had COVID the second time, and uh, I had heart problems, but it was not my heart, it was just air pressing on my heart, called Wurmheld syndrome. And so they told me, I have a heart like a 25 years old, my whole fucking system is like a, like a before 30. Yeah, because I'm eating already almost 25 years organic food. And so I try to drink enough liquid, try to stay away from sugar and this white death, which is white sugar, white flour, table salt, and, you know, animal, white animal fat. And it works pretty good, actually. So far, you know, you never know. Ralph, conversely then, on the flip side, uh, what makes a great instructor? A great instructor should be somebody who's able to verify what a single student needs, not the whole group. For me, that's what I'm talking about, right? That's why we talked about a couple of minutes before. I try to have for every student something, right? We have to work on. And when I, I, I give a seminar, I give those students for six months material they can drill six months. I have two gyms right now I supply. So I go there every six months and then I see how far they are. And I feel myself a lot because you have to have a really the best. You cannot say, I fuck up everybody up. I don't see no fucking private stuff besides B team is, you know, accelerating a little bit. B team, you know, showing what they're doing. And I don't believe you shouldn't show what you can. It's bullshit. You know, because they don't have your timing. They don't put in the time. It doesn't matter, right? So you can show your techniques. In the beginning, when Eddie Bravo showed all the transparency stuff on YouTube and stuff, nobody liked it. But then you have to understand, you have to drill this shit like five to 10,000 reps before it's really in your system. So it doesn't matter anyway. That's why when I give a seminar as a teacher, so going back to what makes a good trainer, I give him something structured, they can work on. They have some picture material as well. Everybody is green-lighted to uh, film. I have nothing to hide. So if somebody is in my class, they're allowed to film. Only when we have competition class, we don't want to do this. And I think when you have this, this self-confidence as well, right? And look, and for me, it's easier. People believe me now because I'm 59. This shit, shit still works. You know, everybody tells me, oh, rubber guard doesn't work. Come to my place. If you're not heavier than 30 pounds on me, I will mess you up with rubber guard, just rubber guard. I'm still be able to do this. So because we have only a handful of rubber guard people who can do this for more than two years. You see sometimes people coming up because it's so important to do this edit training. You have to lift weights. Or it's not, you know, hips is not going to take it. Your knee is not going to take it if you have enough muscle mass. And you have to do it anatomically correct. So if you do your know, traditional triangle where you pull the head and you look at the guy, you have groin muscles involved and you're in a ACs. 
it's already bad. You shouldn't use your bind biceps. So that's, that's the small details I look at. So to do the body positions perfect, I'm a very hands-on trainer as well. I show the technique not once. I would show it probably 10 times during the 45 minutes we're doing. And I go to every couple and show it themselves so they can feel it when they're beginners. Yeah, And that's how we uh, advance pretty fast, actually. I have one student now, he's 16 months in. He's right now cleaning up all the white, white belt brackets. But you have to understand, in Germany, they're sandbagging. You get a blue belt after four or five years here. It's total bullshit. I usually, if they're good and they compete a, at a good level and they show up three, four times a week, 24 months to 26 months, you know, you'll be able to get your blue belt when you're on a regular basis. Yeah. And we have lots of success. We have lots of people who lose weight just because of my nutritional recommendation and the combination of the training, obviously, right? To be a good trainer, you should study too. I study every Sunday at least three hours at YouTube, at Instagram, some new techniques which would fit in our system. So we have our own system now. We have obviously the big system is Tense Planet, but we have our own side streets. I have a couple of you know improvements. For example, electric chair. Most of the people use it only as a sweep now, and I figured out a way how it works 99% every time. You don't go above the knee; you go above the hip. With a game, we give some, some small adjustments, right, which make a huge difference. And I took all the techniques out which fuck your knees up and your lower back. So we, we improved it because of my own problems too. I had my whole life, I have a Scheuermann disease, which is when you grow too fast, I'm 6'3", right, and you don't have the right nutrition. We, have, we were very poor back in the day, so I didn't have much to eat. And so I, I grew too fast. And so when my muscles don't support anymore, Sometimes I have to lay for two, three days. Nothing is working anymore. And now I didn't have this problem for six years because I figured out how to train smart and go around this problem, right? So for me, as a good trainer, you should be a good white belt. You know, you should pay attention. And sometimes my white belts do something wrong and I reconsider the technique. And I use their new approach because, you know, you cannot have the mindset that, oh, yeah, you, yeah. Now it's 20 years, actually, that I've been 10 years a black belt. I should be third degree already. Every three years you get your degree, right? Usually. So I, I don't know if I will ever get it because I go on the end of the year to HQ. I hope, right? But, you know, who knows? But anyway, as a teacher, you should learn your whole life. And you don't have this mindset, your school will not thrive, 100% not. And you will not be able to have students who com compete at a high level. I'm so glad you brought up the, the white belt perspective because, you know, I've talked to tons of black belts and um, oftentimes some of them admit, some don't. They've been doing it so long that they almost forget what it was like to be a white belt or what it was like to walk through that door the first time and what courage that took for some people. Because not, not everyone's the germinator, right? Like some people are just normal, like, you know, they just want to lose some weight or they... They want to do this thing, but they've never done anything like this. So to think of that experience, you know, for those people, after you've had 10, 20 years of jujitsu, it's difficult, it seems like, for some individuals. They forget, especially when you're doing classes every day, multiple times a day, they forget what it's like to be, be that day one person. Dude, I'm like still searching for some holy grails in my technique, right? And I developed at least 30 different 
things, which are really cool, right? It, and it should be. As a teacher, you should have this mind, 100%, right? So what my, my students, well, they have to be thankful that well, they're, they're lucky. Let's, let's take it this way. If they're very lucky because I had my first degree in sports medicine not, and in sports nutrition in 1987, <laughs> you know? So, and I have a degree in natural medicine since I've been 26, so more than, you know, already 33 years I've been a natural practical. I'm living a healthy lifestyle since then. That's a result without, you know, operations and without stairs and everything. Because, look, my goal is to be like Helio, to be able to teach classes until I die. I think he taught classes four weeks before he passed away, I think, right? So that's my goal, because I'm not going to get any retirement anyway in Germany. You know, to be a martial arts teacher here, dude, it's a pretty poor life. But it's a happy life. You know, I love, I love what I'm doing. I'm every morning I wake up, you know, if it's Sunday, sure, I need my rest, my one and a half days. Usually I go in the sauna, but hardcore, like 100 degree, and then try to be like more than an hour inside. So my growth hormones, you know, build up, right? So I try to eat hormones smart, and I try to do everything in my power to harness my natural growth hormones and to produce my own testo and everything. And my testo has be, was being tested last time seven months ago. It's like a 25 years old. I don't have any respect, you know, for somebody who has fucking 10 or 12 or 20 world champion titles when it was because of PDs. Sorry, you know, but that's my personal opinion, right? I'm like, what's happening right now is disgusting. Even small competitions, like here in Berlin, right? This corrupting industries. Dude, I mean, half of the high-level competitioners, you can tell 100% they're on roots. And for nothing. I mean, think about it. First of all, they ruin their health. They're going to be at my age in no fucking time. And so, yeah, I want a couple of people who asked me 15 years ago if I would take it. And I told them, no, you're going to pay the price 10, 15 years later. And all those people who didn't listen to me, they paid the price 10, 15 years later. Yeah, we've had a, a young competitor here who just got popped. Mickey got, got Maybe. Yeah. I'm not going to name names, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Based on the, you know, the usage, they can track it back to like possibly 14 years old and i'm like can you believe that in germany they're taking it 100 percent. i don't know where they're getting it from but they're taking it in my gym we didn't have one person who took anything for my members right not talking about people coming from outside i don't know what they're fucking taking it's a shame because for me, it's a healthy lifestyle. Jiu-Jitsu is not about just, you know, messing people up on the streets, right? So the real, for me, it's bringing people together. For me, it should heal the world. For me, it's absolute craziness. And it's sad. Since money started to happen in grappling, people started using like crazy. But look, back in the day already, they called it replacement therapy, right? I had always to compete when I was in the over 40 years old class. They all had their replacement therapy. But the good part is I still outwork them because I still have the same strength like them because I fucking worked out like a lunatic. I'm still working out high intensity hit, but not more than 40 minutes. When I do my circuit training, because then you start to destroy testo, you know, I go up to 35, 40 minute high intensity, lots of calisthenics and sandbags and stuff, and it really helps. And 
rest, ne? you gotta rest smart, you know, no partying, alcohol will mess you up with your recovery, will fuck with your recovery, high sugar, will fuck with your recovery, so you are what you eat. Was there ever a time that you wanted to quit, and why? Yeah, dude, it destroyed my financial life, my private life. You know, look, I made some serious money before, and but I realized so many people at my age are already dead, or they cannot do shit anymore. They're on five different pills, right? Medicamentation and stuff, and driving a Porsche for what? They cannot even take a blue pill. That's how bad their condition is, right? So it's like, no, dude, that was never my goal. My goal was live an adventurous rich life right so that was always my goal right when i was young what's your goal so i have an adventurous sometimes was too adventurous i moved in my life 27 times so i'm like a gypsy right at 27 different places to stay i mean could have owned already two homes with the money i spent it on those fucking places but i have some really cool stories to tell and when i was in la i was a bouncer at an after hour club called the Continental, between Argyle and Yaka. At one night, I made close to $3,000 in cash. I must have been the fucking highest paid fucking bouncer in the history of LA. Probably somebody tipped another bouncer 10000 or whatever, right? But just selling you, right? It was crazy. For 60 months, we had after our parties, but it was a production company, right? So we had like from Kiefer Sutherland over, you know, I don't want to name other names, but Kiefer, I know he's a cool guy and he mentioned it in one interview that he was there, so it's okay, right? I was smart enough to get a small piece of the action, right? So that's why I made tons of money. So yeah, that's how I supported myself going to LACC, you know, to acting school and, you know, to pay all my expenses. Because I didn't have a real work permit, only as an actor. Now, I was not an actor, I just needed to have a visa. <laughs> That's why I went to acting school. You know, I got some C and D level movie parts. But look, as a German, it was difficult to get a job anyway. What do you wish you were better at in jujitsu, and And where do you want your game to go? Oh... You know, you cannot ask a very self-confident, arrogant guy why he wants to be better. <laughs> so I wish I would be higher level at uh, wrestling because I started so late. But in the other hand, because I was not as good in wrestling, it forced me to work on counters and, you know, counter chokes and stuff like this. So we have like some of the coolest sing leg and double leg reversals and counters where we can take people right away in deep waters, right? I love all the techniques in jujutsu. I love the agility, but I never, you know, really paid attention to gi training yet. So when I get 10 years, when I'm turning 70, if I turn this old, I probably start training in the gi. Oh, cool. I can't wait to see that. But it's going to be another 11 years. It's not like I never wore a gi, right? They put already a gi on me and I still use the rubber guard even more effective because, you know, it couldn't slip out and stuff, right? But I know what a cross choke is. I know what a, you know, Aaron Burrow choke is. I'm not going to fall for this stuff. But yeah, that's why I don't have any cauliflower ears yet because I didn't work in a gi, right? So I got lucky so far. Your thoughts on the future of jiu-jitsu? What do you predict and what are the trends that you're seeing? Right now I'm seeing sadly a trend that it gets watered down more and more. Like back in the day, judo. Judo was a complete martial arts style until 1964 when it became Olympic. 
Before 1964, you had even leg locks in judo. You know, look it up. My first style was judo, but you know, I had an old teacher who still knew leg locks and stuff. I have the feeling that sadly, jujutsu, sports jujutsu, has gone the same direction. So they're taking more and more stuff out. You know, IBJJF. Now you can do heel locks. Finally, right? But that was like they took out. You could not, cannot do the scissor, scissor leg takedown, all the stuff because they were scared of zambu guys. You had could not wear a cup because they were scared of judo guys who were too explosive for arm bars. So I hope that jujutsu goes in a direction where it's a really, it's it's a highest art that can be. You know, that small, petite people can defend themselves against football players who are on steroids with technique. And I hope it goes in a direction where people are able to live off jujutsu competition without having to use steroids. And I hope they're going to go in a direction. It's out. I hope I don't know if it goes, but the problem is, look, now think everybody would be tested. And they would not fucking use the shit anymore. And still the guy who has the most talent and has the best work ethic, right, would probably win. Gordon Ryan, for me, I feel sorry for the kid now. Because look at him, he's 70, 27 years old. The guy looks like 40 now. Look at his kidneys. It's all swollen up. The eyes are smaller than mine now. I mean, you could see a picture. He posed himself when he was like 21 and now he's 27. And his stomach problems started when? When he started using this shit. And who worked with him? Danaha. Who worked with George Champier? Hmm, Danaha. And did George and Pierre have any stomach and colon related problems? Yeah. So yeah, dude, I'm done. It's sad. It's just for me, it's absolute sad. I hope that this is going to go away. I hope every competition going to be able to test. I hope the test going to be so cheap and it's going to happen, right? You can be able to test somebody for 10 euros, probably already, right? But they make it so expensive. Same with the Corona. I'm not saying bullshit because I don't want to hurt anybody, but it was the same stuff, right? So the, the first test was super expensive. Now you can buy them for three euros. It was like 50 or 60 euros, right? So I hope this, they're going in a clean direction. But I hope they're realizing Jujutsu didn't start just as a self-defense system. It was a lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle. So I hope they go back to the roots. That's my only, my personal wish. And I hope I can you know, contribute at least a little bit. I can be still fit in 10 years or hopefully when I continue this kind of lifestyle. And I do everything in my power to push Jujutsu in a healthy direction, not in a sick direction. Right. So that's like my biggest goal. Your thoughts on the new talent, like the new kids rising up, they've had uh, the benefit of things that we never had. Like um, they can watch your videos on YouTube and you're all the way in Germany. They've been training since much younger age. Your thoughts on the kids now and what, what are you seeing? What a paradise, huh? Isn't it crazy? But the problem is with online and with those courses, it distracts your students. So you don't see it as like an add-on? If I have an empty class... Never did jujutsu in his life. Most of the guys who come at my school didn't even do martial arts. No martial arts experience, right? And you come to my class and you have been there for three months, 12 weeks, for example. They're like, yeah, can you show me this and this technique or which technique? Yeah, can you show me the honey hole, you know, to the back take and the renika choke? Say, no. So why? You don't know? Say, sure, I know. But... You're going to work on your basics. I'm teaching you right now. 
You know, I don't want to see any YouTube or anything, any destruction. Just trust the process right now. And then yeah, you come with questions when you have your own. You're starting to have your own game. And you can ask me, you know, if you should add this, you know, if it's even worth your time adding it. Or it's some crazy stuff, some kung fu moves, some jumping moves. If it's a low percentage and it's high percentage, you get injured or you injure your opponent or your training partner. So they cannot judge yet because they don't have the tools to judge. That's my responsibility as a teacher this, to bring this point across. You know, my life partner is a, it's a prime example. When she was a white belt, she thought already she is a brown belt with two stripes after two years, right? And so then we had the first reality check when we had the first competition, yeah? So she had four, four matches and she lost three and she was already crying and didn't want to go on the mats anymore. And I pushed her on the mats and she submitted the fourth opponent, right? This is stuff we did in class, right? And from then, there was no going back. She's no, she just got a blue belt a couple of months ago. If you put in the right time, if you teach, you know, you have your curriculum, you have your, your, your list of where you have to go through, I think... You don't have to look at YouTube in the beginning. It only destructs. And the good part is I made an experiment. I let some of the students do their own shit and the other ones had to do exactly what I told them. And guess what? The guys who listened were super successful, the other ones not. And now they are listening. So I'm not like a total dictator. I'm saying, look, now you can. Yeah, but you don't never take fucking YouTube video in my class and try to drill it during my class. That's not gonna fly. And you're absolutely right. It was back in the day, it was bad. For an armbar defense, somebody asked me to pay $200 for a private. You don't need this anymore, right? And you're right. If you have somebody who is cool and you have an instructional, as I mentioned in the beginning, I did my first year just with Bas Wooten DVDs. And I was already far advanced with leg locks because of the DVDs than other people back in the day in transparent system. So it makes sense, but only to a certain degree. Because now you have to learn how to pass, right? The invisible jutsu, right? How to use the hips, all this stuff. This will come along. And now people open their eyes. But it's another thing too. I'm not teaching one pass or one technique. I always do a whole chain of submissions. And in the chain of submissions, we also cover the path and the pathway to it. And if there are obstacles, how to, um, and, uh, how to use a side street to another technique or other stuff. So that's, and I, I didn't have much help, right? I could not go to HQ because I could not go to America for 10 years. Now I can again, right? I'm so happy about it. And, you know, and financially it was very difficult to do it too, right? So, I had to listen to other instructors as well and to educate myself in certain ways where I was not 100%. You're never 100% anywhere in Jiu-Jitsu anyway. But, you know, so now I think we have a very round, we have a 360 system. Always my goal was to have circle 360 and at every degree, two or three submissions. We're still working on this one. And on counterattacks and, and, and. That's why I think it's really important to trust your teacher too. 
you should you know, take a couple of classes in different you know gyms and figure out for yourself. Is he passionate enough to go with you to competition? Is he screaming his fucking lungs out and fighting for you? I'm the guy. In grappling industries, they hate me. Every coach hates me because their students look. Their students don't cannot listen to their teachers because I'm over screaming like a crazy guy. And last one we had like two weeks ago, grappling industries from. 8.30 to 9 p.m. Dude, I was done, son. I was so done. And my girl was competing as well, right? So my, my, I had like, I mean, I was wet until here. Just because I could not fight, right? So I started sitting there and try to coach a white belt who does no fucking shit. You get nuts, right? But I was telling you, that's, I think it's important too, that you fight for your students no matter what. So if they have me in a corner, they know they have me in a corner. And I'm not sleeping somewhere at the bench or something. Yeah? And I have a very good supporting system. We have amazing students. I'm very happy about this. So money for me is right now. If I'm able to survive, I'm okay, right? So I didn't drive a car for 10 years because I couldn't afford one. Can you imagine? So I was on welfare for the first seven years. I was bad, partially. You know, I made some money, but it was not enough to pay for health insurance. It's You have to pay. You have to have health insurance in Germany and stuff. For my ego, far down. But I still did it. I got kicked out of my old apartment because I didn't have money anymore. So I used a plastic cover, 20 square meters, for my last shop. And we put it just on the green and my students you know who you know who left with me when the first gym I was we we trained on the floor dude we trained on rubber and yeah and five of my students always stick to me five out of 100 now we are up almost up to 100 again when we're over 100 I will be able to make money again so another situation in Germany is you don't get a place for like one or two thousand dollars here Forget about it. It's burning, even the outskirts. I pay for my small gym just to rent it 3,000 euros. It's like $3,300 right now, plus insurance, plus energy costs. Before it was $200, now it's $600 because Germany is so smart, right? But look, if you have a dream, it doesn't matter if you make money. And I don't count my success because I'm financially successful right now. My success is I had two people who were suicidal. I got back. I had three guys who were alcoholics, who are not alcoholics anymore. Those are my small victories. And that people feel like home, you know, they have a totally different mindset. They all improve their health because, you know, they're losing dead weight and they're eating healthier. That's exciting to me. And obviously, they're keeping me young because I'm my oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest in my gym. So I know the American, you know, listeners, most of you guys, your listeners are from America, from the USA. Just want to, you know, tell everybody how lucky you guys are to be in this country. So you have all the opportunities. If you're in California or in the USA anyway, you know, Jiu-Jitsu is big, big. I hope we will be there one day. And I'm very happy. You know, for me, America is my second home. Everyone I met there had like the best experience in my life. And I'm very grateful. And I will be back like the Germanator says always. I will be back. And if I, I'm still alive and I can move my limbs, I will be at the Worlds, you know. And the guys who are competing there at over 50, they're better ready for me. They better fucking train three times a day. 
and they take as many steroids and growth hormones they want. I don't take shit, you know. I take my my water. <laughs> so uh, I wanted you to Adolfo, you know. Yes. Uh, thank you very much, first of all, and uh, I hope I'm gonna see you, brother. You in know, LA. in LA when I'm in LA. And so I'm going to definitely be in contact. And if you're ever in Berlin or any one of your listeners, we take drop-ins. Every affiliation is welcome. We don't, you know, make any difference. For me, every grappler is a, is a brother or, or a sister. You better go easy on me, Ralph. How do I'm an old guy. I'm 59. <laughs> well, Ralph, where can the listener get more information about you, brother, and everything that you're up to? The best way to get me is probably just Google me at Ralph Warneking and uh, just look up Tense Planet Berlin. You find much more information about me there. And obviously Instagram. If you write me a personal message, I always subscribe, but I don't subscribe to strangers, right? So if somebody sends me a message and you communicate, I definitely gonna subscribe 100%. I love America, I love the whole world, you know, I hope we will have peace. And I wish you the best of luck and health. That's the most, those are the two most important things. And I hope I see you soon, buddy. You bet. So everyone out there, thanks so much for watching and listening out there. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Don't forget, consider becoming a VIP member. It's only a buck a month. And, um, you know, give us the nice, the five-star reviews, a thumbs up and subscribe. Check us out on YouTube now. We're there. We will see you guys next time. Ralph, I can't, uh, you know, tell you what an honor this is to finally connect with you and have this conversation with you. Thanks so much for your time. Very nice of you. And goodbye, my friend. Yeah. Us. Take care. See you guys.